So um, there was a mistake that I made last week in um, saying that Daniel and his three friends, it's Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, no mention of Daniel. So I apologise. I was going to mention that. Um, so I apologise for that mistake. But I am thankful for the gracious people who graciously told me afterwards that I'd made that mistake in a gracious way. <laughs> so thank you. But if we can turn to Daniel chapter 3, we'll do a quickly a quick recap. Now with my students, I would have asked if you've done your homework and if you can say your verse, but I'll, I'll just trust that you have. <laughs> but if you can turn to Daniel chapter 3 and... We um, titled the message Delivered or Not and I wanted you to dwell on that question throughout the sermon and I still want you to be thinking about that as we, we recap and then, and, and then hopefully finish the sermon tonight. But I started off and we, we started looking at the count of um, Daniel's three friends taking a stand against Nebuchadnezzar's law. And it's a very well-known account. And there's many different lessons that we could take from this account. And we looked at one, I wanted to look at one particular part of this account, which is mainly how the men replied to Nebuchadnezzar when he tried to get them to buckle or to give in to his rule about bowing down to the, the idol that he'd set up. Um, and that, that was mainly in verses 16 to 18, which hopefully we'll get there tonight. These men definitely... Um, didn't take the path of least resistance. And I started off with that analogy that an animal will always take the path of least resistance. They will make a track and they will, rather than trying to jump over something, they'll go under it if they can or around it um, to save energy. But when we're doing God's work, that's not how it works. There may be an easier way to do something, but that's not how we do it. We do it the way God wants it done. No questions asked. But... We'll quickly run over the points that we did cover so we can sort of um, remember where we're up to. So first of all, in verses 8 to 12, we considered the great opportunity that was set out for these three men. And in part of that, we've, we considered the wicked Chaldeans in verse 8. These uh, men, or, were, or these people, were always looking for a way to... Um, get rid of the Jews. Um, they didn't like them. Their heart was full of rage and they were looking for, for a way to get rid of them. Um, and the application we took from that was the world today is full of people like the Chaldeans. They, they want to stop us from preaching the word. They want us to, to just be quiet. They don't want us to, to make them feel uncomfortable. And they definitely don't like it when we do have success in reaching um, others for Christ. It's easy to fear these unsaved people, but we must not. We must be close to God and know how we need to respond. We also considered in part of this that the Chaldeans would have felt challenged by these people, uh, by the Jews, because we know that they worked their way up to um, being in charge of the province of Babylon. And they probably felt pretty challenged by that. And it was just something that I took away that we need to be careful when we're witnessing not to lord it over people because it does make them feel uncomfortable. You're challenging their whole world view, the way they think, the way they believe, the way they, they live their life. You're turning it from a selfish point of view 
to a God-focused point of view. And we need to keep that in mind when we're talking to the unsaved because it is a big change. But we need not to fear them. We need to trust in God and look for the opportunity. The next part of that, we, we looked at the accusation that was made by these wicked, wicked men. Um, make sure I've got the right... Yeah, the accusation... Um, so they didn't bow down to the golden image and these wicked Chaldeans thought they had their church to get rid of the Jews. Um, and it was wise, his Daniel's, sorry, these Chaldeans accused them of not bowing down but also that they, that they, in doing that they didn't have respect for the king and that was a complete lie. In actual fact, Daniel and his three friends had a lot of respect for their authorities and that's a good point for us to remember. In actual fact, the Chaldeans were really the ones who didn't have respect because all they wanted is the position and the power. They didn't really care about um, the prosperity of, or furtherance of Babylon. They just wanted the position. And there's so many people like that in, in unfortunately, churches today. They want power, they want position, but they don't want the responsibility. They got to the, the point quickly and they reminded the king that he was the one who put these Jews in the position they were and they worded it um, that they did not bow down, they did not regard, they did not fear or respect the king. The world accuses true believers of inciting violence today, doesn't, doesn't it? Causing disruption. Just be quiet. Stop, being, stop having hate speech. Stop making us feel uncomfortable. But how much further from the truth could it be? They seek peace, but it's not true peace. Not the peace of God. Next, and then we got on, that was sort of the first point. Then we considered the the great temptation, point number two. Um, And the first part of this, we considered the king's rage. Um, The king was known for being a a hothead. And he'd done this in the past, and we considered that. how when the king had the dream, he said, if no one can interpret this to me, you're all going to die. And that, that, the men had seen this before um, and they'd experienced that before. But an application we took from that is we saw the contrast of how a person or a Christian should react. We can be anger, or the, the, the Lord tells us to be angry, but to sin not. If our anger only is caused by what we want or not getting our own way, then that's unrighteous. But if it's righteous anger that's causing our anger, we're upset because people aren't doing the right thing, because people aren't seeking God, then that is okay. That is righteous anger. And we could probably say that these three men probably had righteous anger that this all the people, even the, the remnant or the all the other Jews, they all bowed down. Imagine the anger they would have seen. They were probably, that probably actually, you know, would have been a hard thing for them. But the temptation for Christians when we, we face anger can be the two things, and whether it's from saved or unsaved people. Sometimes we might respond with anger ourselves, or we might try cower away and not respond at all. And we considered those two things. Neither one of those ways was right, but rather we need to give what the answer that God would want us to give with boldness, in peace and love, not with anger. Um, and then we considered as part of the great temptation the opportunity, the counter-opportunity offered. 
This was the opportunity that the king didn't want to kill these men. He didn't want to put them in the furnace because he knew how valuable they were. They had prospered Babylon in a great way and the king gave them a second opportunity. But this was an opportunity to bow down and to the golden image and their lives would be spared. We considered how, as a Christian, it's good to have a testimony with the unsaved. Um, but in that, we need to be aware of when the opportunities to um, sin or the wrong opportunities come up, we need to be able to identify them. And these men identified this wasn't correct. They could see past this second wicked opportunity for what it was, and what it was would be to worship false, the false idol, and these men stayed focused on, on what was right and not to give in to this temptation that was given. So that's where we got up to. Sorry, that was pretty quick, but we got up to halfway through the second point, and we'll finish this second point, and we'll keep moving from there. So... Um, the next part I wanted to look at was the insult added. So we're sort of looking at uh, verse 18. So Daniel chapter 3. Oh, sorry, that's a bit far ahead. Not verse 18, verse 15. Um, the king made a statement there in verse 15 at the end. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? This insult um, would have probably not helped the king change these, these men's mind. These men were godly men. And when he said that, uh, who is this God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That probably just cemented in their minds that, right, we cannot give in. That cemented in their hearts that what truly was on the line here. It's not attack on, their, on them or their physical, physical bodies, but attack on their God, the one true God. It was a very foolish thing for the king to say this statement, but God was in control and he made sure that it was said, probably to be a blessing to these three men, to cement in their minds that they were doing the right thing. In Mark chapter 13, verse 9, it says, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to, to councils and to, in synagogues, and ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony among them. We must as Christians be in, tr in tune with God by consistent prayer and reading of his word. Otherwise, we will fall in the times of temptation and lose the opportunity that God provides to be a witness for him. If we are walking close to God and the little things that, that come up, the unpeople, unsaved people, maybe the Christians that aren't walking close to God, when they say these little things, the little comments, the little false doctrines, the little wavering to the side, it'll be like alarm bells to us. Like this statement would have been to the three men. It would have cemented in their mind and it should cement in our mind that hang on, whoa, Here's an opportunity here to stand up for God. Here's an opportunity to suffer for God and we should be um, looking for that. We should be excited about that. So just like these words would have been <clears throat> to, to, the, to the three men, 
It highlights to us the opportunity that we need to bring glory to God and react in the right way. And we can, we, I want to consider another leader who did something similar. In Exodus 5.2, it says, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel, Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. We see here another worldly ruler throwing down insults about the one true God. And just like that, that instance there, Moses would have been righteously angered by that statement and I'm sure that these three men would have been righteously angered. They, would have, they, they then would have seen what was, what was at stake here. But we know the end of Pharaoh. He lost his first, uh, firstborn son. He lost his whole army. He lost his pride. He, he, he broke the whole nation of Egypt. And, and I've seen documentaries where they've, they've dug up different things and they, they can see this great kingdom prospering, 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 especially when Joseph come on board. And then, boom. But they will not admit that that was God's judgment. It, it's there in archaeological history. And it proves that you can't insult God and get away with it. You will not get away with it. And as Christians, we need to be very careful not to do that ourselves, but we need to warn the unsaved to not do the same thing. So just as Pharaoh uh, was very much humbled by God, we know that Nebuchadnezzar, even though after this instance he, he did say, this is the one true God that has saved you from this, this fiery furnace, and it seems as though he, he got the point, but later on in history we know that, again, his heart was built up with pride. And look at this kingdom that I've built. Look what I have done. And then out to the field for seven years to eat like an animal, like a beast. God humbled him. You can't insult God and get away with it. It, won't, it just won't happen. But what are some of the insults as Christians that we will hear in this world today? What's some of the things we hear? What's some of the alarm bells? What's, sorry, what's some of the things that trigger alarm bells in your mind and your heart as a Christian? Well, you have a, a level of respect, but as soon as you tell people, oh, it doesn't matter what your title is in life, even if you're Einstein, right? As soon as you say you're a Christian, Mm. And you lose all credibility straight away. Like people still have some level of respect for you, you can prove to them, but they think somewhere he's gone bonkers, right? Mm. Yeah, praise God for it. Amen. <laughs> they think we've gone bonkers. But there's there's certain things that they'll say. What about evolution? Oh, the world was created by a big bang. By by a destructive force, things were created. You just simply think that through people. That's alarm bells. It should be alarm bells to any thinking person. But for the Christian, it's an alarm bell. Hang on. No. Stop. And I've, I've heard of young people, people from this church in, in schools saying no and pointing out to the fact. And we've got these teachers, teachers um, belittling them in front of the class. Stand up. That should be alarm bells. That should be right. Get righteously angry. This is when you can reply to the teacher, no, you're incorrect. <laughs> God created this world. Well, we can think of the whole um, way that people have viewed 
um, the sexuality of the world. God made man and woman. That's it. He created us to be in a marriage relationship and that's it. And the world thinks that everything but that. To think of a marriage, and I'm in mainly with a group of men most of the time, marriage is almost a thing that you avoid now. To get married is to tie yourself down. To get married is to, is to um, you know, really just throw your life away. And it's such a saddening thing, and it, it should be alarm bells. I pray that it's alarm bells for you, and I know it is for me. But when we're around this constantly, bombarded by this, we can get desensitized, and that's why we need to be in the Word. We need to be in tune with God, so when these things are hitting us, we don't become desensitized by it. And there's many other insults, but in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And saying, this is people saying, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Here's an alarm bell. People don't think Jesus is coming again. What rubbish. He is coming again. And for those who aren't ready, it's going to be a terrible time. And thankfully in this church, we are blessed with that reminder that he is coming again. And we need to prepare for that as Christians. But the people of this world are so far removed from God that most times they have never had a thought about God or what his existence would entail for them. So if you hear them make the insult like this or any other insults about God, yes, we need to be careful how we respond. Respond with the correct words in love. Respect where they've come from. As I said earlier, these people probably have never heard what you're about to say. And one thing I do find encouraging is that it's like ploughing a fresh field, talking to people today, because they almost drink it up. What? Evolution? No, that's how the world... No, it's not how it was made. I've, I've talked to men my age who have never heard about the creation and, and creation and how God made the world. And that is, is, as alarming as that is, it is refreshing because they don't have any preconceived rubbish ideas that have mixed it all up. And they actually drink it up. And once you spell it out for them, they get it. And I just pray that they would just click and realise that they need salvation. But it should be like alarm bells before a boxing match. Ding, ding, wake up, Christian. The opportunity is right in front of you. Let's take it. Get ready to humble yourself and be used by the Almighty God to be just like these three men were about to be used. So don't take bad opportunities and let the insult that the, the unsaved or maybe saved, unfortunately, be alarm bells to us and in our hearts. Don't fall into the temptations to just go along with the, what the world is saying and the way of the world. Be ready. Get ready to stand. So we've had, <clears throat> pardon me, the first point was the great opportunity then we saw the great temptation these three men faced. And lastly, we see the great stand. And this is the, la the largest point, um, but, and there's three, three parts to this point, but we see the great stand. And this is in verses 16 to 18. So let's read verse 16. I might get Bernie just to read that out while I have a drink. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Thank you, Bernie. So in this verse, we see the confidence. The confidence in this great stand. The three men were able to answer the king with complete confidence that they had, had, that they had in their God, the one true God. There was no pause or talking about the situation between each other. They had already come prepared in what they were going to say to the king. They had faced trials like this before when they'd been taken captive to Israel, uh, captain, sorry, captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And also when they um, were told to eat meat like the rest of the captives and they were getting conditioned to, to be servants to the king. They already before had faced temptations to go, go with the flow or what was popular at the time. <clears throat> but they did not give in, in then and they weren't going to give in now. And this had built their confidence. Their faith was in God who they knew would be able to save them no matter what. But as we consider this confidence, it's important to think about where do we get our confidence from. It's important to note that these men in answering, we are not careful to answer thee, that statement means that we don't sorry, that we don't need to defend ourselves or our God, for our God will defend himself and us. Their faith and confidence were not in themselves, but rather the great God that they served. It is very foolish and prideful for us to think that we would be able to stand against the unsaved or against the, the, the wicked or even defend God. It is God who does that. And that's why we must put our confidence and have our confidence in him and him alone. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. God also knows us. He knows what tests he can give us and what opportunities we are ready for and what opportunities he wants us to face. God prepares us just like he prepared... Um, <coughs> sorry, God prepares us for the battle just like he prepared these three men before they got to this trial in their lives. He doesn't just throw us in the deep end he gets us slowly through life purifying us um, like a diamond cutting all the rough parts off and I can say that I've got a lot of rough parts and there's a lot to come off still <laughs> and I pray that if you're towards the other end of your life I pray that you can see that in your life think about Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 and 11 it says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wild wiles of the devil. This obviously starts when at salvation. We start putting on this armour. But when you consider people that put armour on, and I've seen um, modern armour that they put on, it's not obviously so incumbent as the old armour with the, the chain mail and the, the heavy sword. And I thought When I was thinking about this, I thought about David when he... You know, he had that sling and um, the king said, here, here's my armour, put this on. Not only was it far too big, but he wasn't exercised in battling with armour on. Armour's not something you can chuck on and then straight away start fighting. It's something that you have to train with. Just to walk with armour on is a hard thing. So 
God knows this. He knows that we need to be exercised as Christians before we reach trials in our lives. And I'm amazed when I think only in my own, my life alone, my short life, um, how God has put me through small trials. And at the time, they sent massive. And as, as children, even, we face things that we just think, oh, I'm never going to get through this. How, how am I ever going to get through life? Maybe we're learning to tie our shoes. How's this? I can't get this. How am I going to get over this? But we learn, and then we learn how to do harder things and harder things, and we build on that. And God does that in our spiritual lives as well. He doesn't just throw us in the deep end. And it's the same in my life. I, I, I know that if I hadn't responded in the right way by depending on God's grace to endure or go through those trials then I wouldn't have been able to go through the larger trials later on in life because it, it, I wouldn't have been depending on God. And I believe that if I hadn't done that or depended on God's strength, he wouldn't have even given me the opportunity to go through those, those harder trials. We can think of it this way. When you think about an athlete or a bodybuilder or anyone that's training for a, a, um, an event, and Toby knows all about this. You don't get better at whatever you're doing. You know, a runner, if they only ever train doing the same distance, if they only ever run 10-minute kilometres, you're never going to be able to run that one-minute kilometre at the Olympics. I don't know, that's probably a bit of exaggeration. But the way you get better is that you do progressive overloading, they call it. And bodybuilders will do this. I'm not a bodybuilder, that's for sure. But if they had five kilos, and maybe not even that, some people have to start with just the bar, and they lift that bar. doesn't matter how many times they lift that bar. If they go from that to trying to lift 150 kilos, they're going to do themselves in. But what they do is progressively overload. They'll add a little bit more just, just so they can get there, just so they can do it. Same with a the runner. They might add some extra weights on. They might aim for a little bit faster. Progressively, slowly, but surely they improve. But they must also might not to be too proud and go too quick, uh, too far too quick, or else they'll do injury and go backwards. It is so important that as Christians we rely on God to overload us. As Christians, sometimes we we pray, God, just take all the trials away. I want it easy. I just want to have it a smooth sailing. Well, we don't get the point of the Christian life if that's what we're praying. We need to pray for God to overload us and also to give us the grace to get through that trial or that temptation so that we can then be used by him for something greater. And also, we should never be presumptuous and say, I've got this, and go out in our own strength. 1 Samuel 17.47 says, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hands. Can we say with David, the battle is the Lord's? The battle is not ours to win. The battle is the Lord's. Our confidence must be in him and him alone. So in this great stand, we see the confidence. The next part we see in verse 17 is the stand. And I might pick on Bernie again. Can you read out verse 17 for me? If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to do 
burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. All right, so we see the confidence, the confidence in that answer. The, th the three men took their stand and gave the answer that the God, the God of Israel, who they served, would be able to save them from the fire if it was within his will. But if not, he was still going to save them out of the hand of the king because they knew that they would be with their God. These men were not looking at, the li at life from a here and now perspective, but rather from an eternal point of view that if they were delivered from the fire... That's fine. But if not, we're going to be with our Lord. What an amazing view these men had. These men were not being presumptuous about what God would do, but rather wanted to show the king that they did not need to fear him or his furnace. Because God's will, sorry, God will, um, sorry, God's will would be carried out no matter what the end result would be. And you can start, start keep asking yourself that question, delivered or not. You can start seeing these men didn't care whether they were delivered or not. It didn't matter as long as God's will was reached. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, I want to talk uh, about the, the, the heroes of faith here. And in, the, in this chapter, it goes through the names and the deeds of great heroes of the faith that saw great miracles done by God, which delivered them from, from times of trials and, and very hard times, some of them. I'll quickly mention a few of them. We can think of, pardon me, um, Enoch. In the time that Enoch lived, which was around the time of Noah, we can think about how wicked the world was. But Enoch um, walked with God so much so that he was not. Great hero of the faith. God took him. God delivered him. We can think about Noah. It mentions Noah. It mentions Abraham. It mentions Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samuel. These great heroes of the faith. And even um, in verse 34, it says, quenched the, the violence of fire. Now, it doesn't mention these three men. But I believe that is talking about these three men. They're actually mentioned in, in, in the, the um, Hall of Fame here. And they were delivered. But what I want to consider mainly out of this is verse 36. And I want to read from 36 to 40. So Hebrews chapter 11, 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were <clears throat> so were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us, sorry, without us, should not be made perfect. Here we have the others. And the Greek word here means others of a different kind. These other heroes of the faith that are not named by name um, 
were faithful, right, with the right view, with the right response, doing what God wanted for the right reason. But God in his wisdom did not deliver them from their physical situation, but rather only delivered their souls straight to heaven because of the work that was done. And he knew, God knew that he would receive the greater glory by them dying a lot of the times. All, all the time for these for these these people. So what are the names of these these other heroes? What's some people that we could put into that category that they weren't delivered? We can think of John the Baptist in Luke chapter three, verse nineteen to twenty and verse nine nine. John made a stand against sin, and the king had him put to, in prison and eventually beheaded at the request of Herodias's daughter. We can think of Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 60. Stephen made a stand against the Sanhedrin of Israel for their unbelief, and they stoned him to death. But even in, while they were doing that, he said, lay not this sin to their charge. What a great hero of the faith. He wasn't looking to get out of the situation. If he was, he wouldn't have said anything. But he was delivered through this to heaven. And we can think about the repercussions of that, that situation there. Who was standing there holding their coats? Paul. I think that would have had to have an impact on Paul. He probably heard what Stephen said, lay not this sin upon their charge. We don't know what the impact that would have. We can think about 10 out of the 12 apostles were martyred for their faith, and this includes Stephen. Judas obviously was never saved. Um, and didn't endure at all. But the only person that was spared was John, that did not die as a martyr, but he went through many, many hard trials, and he was able to receive great things um, from God for that. And um, But in thinking of this, I believe that the others here, in its true meaning, all also refers to the thousands of believers who, through church history and before church history, God has seen fit that they were not delivered because he would receive the greater glory. We can think of pastors. We can think of missionaries. We can think of translators who continued on right to the death. We can think of Christians who did not give up but continued on and they weren't delivered. God, did, God knew that he would receive the, receive the greater glory by them not being delivered out of, out of their trial. Pardon me. So we, in this last point, we've seen um, the, in the great stand, we've seen the confidence, we've seen the stand itself. And last of all, I want to consider the reason for the stand. Verse 18, so back in, um, <clears throat> pardon me, Daniel chapter 3. And I might get Bernie again to read that out for me. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. All right. So the reason for the stand, the reason they were doing this was not to be seen of men or to be praised in the eyes of the other Jews who probably wished that were able to be as bold as these men, but rather that God only would receive the glory and honour and no other person or image would take um, his place in their lives. 
Matthew chapter 4 verse 9 to 10 says, And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. These men had the same spirit as the Lord Jesus did when he was taken into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. He was not going to bow down, and they were not going to bow down, not, not because they would receive glory of men, but because God said so. God said, worship me and me alone. Just like when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, these men took the stand, and this was the reason why they did it. I know I struggle when I serve or when I do things for God or when I take a stand. Sometimes I've done it and I know I've done it only so I look good. And I'll confess that freely. And I think it was last Wednesday night we talked about how God knows our hearts. pastor told us that we need to take confidence in that, that, why do we serve? And sometimes we may think it's, it's, we have our fleshly desire to do that. That's the reasoning we do it. But if we identify that and turn that over to God, God knows our hearts and God can change our hearts and, and can make sure that our service, our standing, the reason we don't bow down to the worldly way is because we want to bring glory to him. And I, I really enjoyed that, that part of the sermon because that's something that I do have always struggled with. But Job chapter 1, verse 8 to 12, it says, and I'll read a few verses here, sorry. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thine power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from thence, from the presence of the Lord. And we know what Satan did. He took this man to the point of death. And a lot of us probably wish we were in Job's uh, position that we would die. Um, But can we say, can God say, sorry, of us what he said of Job? Consider my servant Job. Consider how upright he is consider his heart god knew job's heart and i'm so thankful that god knows my heart and i can turn my heart over to him and say god change it if there is any any self-confidence if i'm doing any service for you for the wrong reason if i'm standing only to be seen of men remove me lord or change my heart god knows our hearts and why we serve And we shouldn't go, oh, I'm serving for the wrong reason, so I'm going to stop service. No, continue on serving, but ask God to change the reason why you serve. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 to 26 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. 
If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So the reason for our stand with God should never be for vainglory or to provoke others, but purely and only to bring glory to the one who has saved us from the pit of eternal hell by his son's blood on the cross. Now we can, we can think about Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 to 25 where it says provoke one another to love and good works. That's a completely different set of provoking. That's seeing a brother who you can encourage and encouraging him to do the right thing for the right reason. But if we're provoking people only to cause them to walk away from God, only to cause them harm, that's, a, that's an evil position. And we really need to be careful. So the reason why we stand, we see the reason these men stood was because they wanted to bring glory to God. They were not going to bow down to this image. So in conclusion, I just want to read a few more verses from Habakkuk chapter 3. Um, verses 17 to 19. It says there, <clears throat> pardon me, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labour of the olive shall fall, and the field shall yield no milk, uh, meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in, joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high, mine high places to the chief sinner on my stringed instruments. So when we consider this message, and I know it's probably a bit disjointed because we've gone over two nights, but I pray God gives you, and we'll do a quick review here, the wisdom to see the great opportunities in life that he has provided through trials and temptations, that we would endure through the great temptations to buckle. And while in the temptations, even though others may be angry with us or insult our God, that we respond in the right way so that God can then use us for bigger trials and, and greater things for his glory. And finally, that we would make a great stand with godly confidence but only for his glory. Whether we are delivered or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is God's glory and that alone. I pray that um, you can get a blessing from that. Um, and we can take our hymn books now. Oh, actually, we'll close with a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll sing it in hymn. Lord, we thank you that uh, you, Lord, in your wisdom, know when we need to be delivered you know what we can face you give us strength in the times of trial and temptation you you know our frame we you know that we are lord save sinners and lord i pray that you would strengthen each one of us and lord help us to exercise ourselves through your word through prayer lord when we face those trials and temptations that we would we would really really see what's at stake here and that we would put you first in our lives, Lord, whether you deliver us or not. In wonderful and precious name, amen.